Wow. Good worship this morning. Let's give the worship team a hand. They deserve it. They work really hard at what they do, and, and it's their job to lead us into the worship of our God and Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. I hope you've been enjoying this series on the promised gift. Um, it's one uh, I was telling the worship team earlier, uh, of all the, the books that I've written and have out there, this is my favorite. It's my favorite one to preach. Uh, maybe because it's about the Holy Spirit, he seems to inspire it. He seems to uh, uh, indwell it and, and, and just change hearts. Um, it's a great message, great series. Um, sad to say this is my last Sunday. <laughs> I'd like to keep going, but uh, uh, I really appreciate you having me here as your pastor. Pastor Mark has been gone. Uh, I'm sure he's enjoyed his time away. And uh, you're all looking forward to seeing him again, right? Yeah. yeah. So this morning, uh, the title of my sermon is 120 Disciples in a Honda. And uh, I want to start by reading some scripture. <clears throat> this is from the book of Acts chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 12. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Well, let me stop for a minute. Remember, Jesus told the disciples as he was ascending into heaven, Go to Jerusalem and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you've received power, till you've received the gift my Father has promised, the promised gift. For when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, uh, and really the book of Acts, the rest of the book of Acts is all about how they carried out that great commission. Um, and so they do go back to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives on a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judith, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, it says. In the King James Version of this uh, scripture from Acts chapter 1, it says, it goes on to say, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together and had all things in common. In the King James version of that, it says they were all together in one accord. And my weird mind said, how did they all get in a Honda? <laughs> 120 of them in a Honda. They were all in one accord. Well, it's an old joke. <laughs> In the account of Acts chapter 2, 
It was 50 days, you see, after the death of Christ as the first fruit of our faith that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. He came to those 120, not only to those 120, the Holy Spirit came to all the believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. You see, God's word is not just a history book about the Israelites, it's the inspired, illuminated plan and purpose of God that is kind of interwoven throughout his word from beginning to end. As we grow as Christians and mature in our faith, the Holy Spirit gives us more and more insight into God's word. And it doesn't take long usually for many of us to realize that no human hand could possibly have written such a book. I don't know about you, but when I get into God's word, there are times when I just think to myself, nobody could have written this. Nobody could have put this together. You know, they say the Bible was written by many different authors at many different times, and it was all put together by a group of people who decided what books should be in there, kind of thing, you know. Baloney. The Bible was put together by the hand of God, my friends. No one else could put such a book together that is so perfect from beginning to end. It ought to inspire us to believe more and more in the God who we serve. Again, I got a green light, there we go. Okay, I'll set that right there and try not to walk too far away. Um, Pentecost, I, I really think myself personally, Pentecost is one of those times in the church calendar year that we don't really emphasize enough. I'll say it one more time. Jesus Christ is God's perfect gift for our salvation. The Holy Spirit is God's perfect gift to help us live this life that we've been called to live. When Jesus said to his disciples, when, unless I go to the Father, you, the Holy Spirit can't come. And when he comes, he will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. <laughs> He kept saying all these, all these words to let them know what the Holy Spirit's job was. The Holy Spirit's job was to lead them, guide them, direct them, transform them into the kind of people God wanted them to be. Is it any wonder then why Pentecost is so important to us as Christians? As important as Easter. Um... I think by now we, we know and understand the reasons why the disciples 
And we, you and I, need to know more about this promised gift. Um, when I think about the King James Version, which says that they were all in one accord, even if the joke isn't that funny, I think this statement given by Luke deserves a little closer look. First of all, for the disciples to be in one accord and for the church to be in one accord, they would have to experience harmony with God and harmony with one another. Now, does that mean that we all look alike, we all talk alike, we all think alike, we're all like robots in the church? No, absolutely not. What a boring church that would be. It's our diversity that gives us joy. <laughs> it's our diversity that gives us uh, uh, the, the thing that we desire the most, community, community within the church. We're all different. We don't think alike. We don't act alike. But there's one thing that keeps us all in one accord. It's what we believe. It's what we believe. They weren't all Baptists. They weren't all Methodists. They weren't all Wesleyans. They weren't even Pentecostals. At least not yet, they weren't. It does mean that they were in unity as to what they believed about God, about Jesus, and about Scripture. They were all in one accord. They had a unity of faith. In fact, as I learned in theology class, the very first Christian creed was simply this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's a simple statement of faith. Not long after the birth of the church, they created and agreed upon some other things that they believed. And it was called the Apostles' Creed. Does anybody remember the Apostles' Creed? <laughs> sure. The Apostles' Creed. It's what brought them into one accord. I want to take a little closer look at it this morning, if I may. First of all, it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, I want to tell you something. It's a pretty bold statement. But unless you believe the first line in the Bible, you don't believe at all. What's the first line? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Created. If you don't believe, it's like the first button. If you don't get the first button in the right buttonhole, <laughs>
Jesus, his only son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that's the Immaculate Conception. They believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, just like his word said he was, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, part of the Apostles' Creed, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. All three. All three. He was crucified on the cross. He died. He didn't just pass out. He died, and he was buried. He descended into hell. Why? To preach to those who had gone before and free those who were in paradise. Old Testament saints and those who died before Jesus was born. Those who died before he died on the cross. He went to paradise and preached to them and convinced them who he was. And I believe that those who believed went with him. Okay? On the third day, he rose again. We call it Easter. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come and take you and, and take you where I'm going. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead, the judgment seat of Christ, the wedding supper of the Lamb, all those things that are talked about in the last days. By the way, let me stop for just a moment because some people don't get this right. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for sins. He did that on the cross. Okay? He judged our sin on the cross. The judgment seat of Christ is for rewards. <laughs> Read it. Think about it. When Christ comes again and we go to stand before him, it's for rewards. It's to receive our crowns. It's, it's for the good job we've done and the, and the good people we've become by the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to will and to act according to God's good purpose. It's not a judgment of sin, my friends. It's a judgment of rewards. I believe that in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Catholic Church, a universal church, the communion of saints, not for salvation, but for remembrance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do this so you'll be saved. Do this in remembrance. Communion of saints for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. We believe in the resurrection of the body which is the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive shall be caught up in the air, and there we will be with the Lord forever. The Apostles' Creed. 
We also believe in the life everlasting, eternal life on the new earth with the right to eat from the tree of life. Do you remember? This is why I say that the Bible is, who could have put such a, a book together except God himself? Way back in Genesis, remember where it says, <clears throat> Adam and Eve sinned. And so they placed an angel, God said, place an angel in front of the tree of life with a flaming sword, lest they should eat of it and live forever. When I first read that, it blew my mind. I thought to myself, why didn't Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life? God said they could eat of all. He said, lest they, you want to take this one? <laughs> sure. In the beginning, in Genesis, God said they can't eat of the tree of life. Why? Because then they'll live forever. <laughs> if they eat of the fruit of the tree of life, they'll live forever. We can't allow that. They've sinned. Am I losing you? Okay. Jump to the book of Revelation, way to the end of the Bible, where it says, I looked, and there before me was the tree of life. The tree of life is there, and we get it back. We get to eat the fruit of the tree of life that's, that stands over the river of life, yielding its fruit. And we eat that fruit and we live forever and ever. It's not that hard to understand. We lost it in the beginning, we, rece we receive it back in the end. Okay, back to our lesson. Uh, being in one accord. They had to be in harmony with God and harmony with one another in order to be in one accord. Uh, there was also an inward harmony of soul from their shared experience in their faith that expressed itself in outward fellowship. Remember it says they devoted themselves to the disciples' teaching and the breaking of bread and, and the fellowship and all of that. That was all an outward expression of what was happening inside of them. And so to be in one accord, we have to be in harmony with one another. And, and it begins with our belief. If you believe all those things that I just went through in the Apostles' Creed, my friend, you are a brother and sister in Christ. Secondly, they would be in one accord as far as their expectations. They had all heard about the promised Holy Spirit. They all heard Jesus say the Holy Spirit would come to empower them and enable them to do what he had commissioned them to do. I will pray to the Father, he said, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not and neither knows him not. 
Those who are without the Spirit, the things of the Spirit are foolishness to those who are without the Spirit. You see? Why can't they see it? Why can't they understand it? Why doesn't everybody just believe it's so simple? The message is so simple, why can't they believe? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The message is foolishness to those who are without the Spirit. Let me insert here that one must believe before he can receive. They truly believed in what they were waiting for. They believed in the promised gift. It's useless to seek something you don't really believe in, right? If you don't believe in God, why would you seek him? If you don't believe the Holy Spirit, why would you want the Holy Spirit in your life? If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, then why would you want to be redeemed? You have to believe it in order to receive it. In John 3, Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. If you put that together with the Apostle Paul's teaching that the things of the Spirit are foolishness to those who are without the Spirit, it makes sense because unless you are born again, you can't see it. You don't get it. You can't comprehend it. It doesn't make any sense unless a man be born again. Why? Because Jesus also said, believe and you shall receive. When you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. Spiritual insight into the kingdom of God. If you don't have it, you can't see it. We as Christians need to realize that Easter and Pentecost are two different things. Salvation, I can't express this enough, salvation is found in the glorious resurrection of Easter, but power, <coughs> excuse me, the power to live this life, the power to testify to the Christian life, the power to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and our own little world, as well as the whole world, all comes at Pentecost. The power to witness boldly, the power to resist temptation and overcome sin, overcome our sinful nature, the power to change and transform and lead a godly and righteous and holy life comes at Pentecost. The disciples, you see, were waiting, believing, and praying for that which Jesus promised. And that's why they were in one accord. They all believed it. They were all waiting for it. They all received it. Thirdly, I believe they were in one accord in a unity of purpose. There was only one thing that dominated their spiritual thinking, and that was to do what Jesus told them to do. You see, there was no plan B. <laughs> Jesus went back to the Father, and the angels said, what's the plan? And he said, well, I left it in the hands of 12 men. Well, what if that doesn't work? I don't know, I don't have a plan B. <laughs> That was it. I chose 12 men to carry out the work of God on earth as it is in heaven. There is no other plan. There was only one thing that dominated their thinking, and that was to do what Jesus told them to do. In Matthew, he told them, go and make disciples of all nations. 
In Mark, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes, whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved. In Luke, he said, repentance and, uh, preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In the book of John, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That was the plan. That was the plan all along. Preach. Preach the good news of the kingdom. Make disciples. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Preach repentance and forgiveness. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And now in Acts, he says, but wait. <laughs> I can't help but think of the commercial, but wait, there's more. But wait until you receive the promised gift. You will receive power when the promised gift comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. One purpose, one goal, one priority, to witness and make disciples, to carry the good news of Jesus, the Son of God, throughout the world. No individual agendas, no one's better than anyone else, no one, uh, no, I want to do it my way, or it's all about me, as Max Lucado would say. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about him. These are the reasons why Luke says they were in one accord. In the end, I want you to look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 1 where it starts out by saying, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and all of them were filled. But it begins with being in one accord. A Sunday school teacher had taught her class to recite the Apostles' Creed by giving each child one phrase of the creed to learn. At the Sunday school presentation, the class was asked to give their little uh, play, their little recitation, and they began beautifully. One little boy said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And little Sarah said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Everything went perfect, one child after another. And then suddenly there was a long pause. And finally, a little girl spoke up and said, uh, Teacher, the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is not here today. <laughs> Has the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit been absent in your life? Do you need to be refreshed in your faith, in your belief? I say to you this morning, start reciting the Apostles' Creed. Oh, that's old fashioned. That's an old tradition. We don't do that anymore. Yes, we do, my friends. Yes, we do. Because if you don't believe the Apostles' Creed, then you don't believe at all. 
The Holy Spirit is the miracle that's within us. Only the Spirit of God is capable of making us adequate for all the good works that God has in store. Only the Holy Spirit can empower us to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. According to his power that works within us. You see, God's Holy Spirit has one job. Jesus had one job. Forgiveness of sin. To die on the cross to replace us for forgiveness of sin. And he did that. And he said, now I'm going back to the Father, but I will send you a comforter. I will send you the promised gift. And he will lead you, guide you, direct you into all truth. Why? I'm going to take you right back full circle to the beginning where we started. So that you can be convinced and you can be empowered. See, it's not complicated. But we cannot live this life without that. Unless we're convinced in what we believe and we're empowered to live this life, we can't do it. We can't do it. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Father, for all of the things that you do in and through our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for, first of all, your, your, the gift of your Son. Unless we are born again, we can't see the kingdom of God. We can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. There's no way we can even begin to change our lives without being born again. And we give you thanks for the free gift, the promised gift, your Holy Spirit who has come at Pentecost to lead us and guide us. Oh, we try to do church. We try to come up with ideas. We try to do the best we can. And sometimes we get caught up in the uh, it's all about me syndrome. This is the way I want to do it. This is the way I see it. This is the way we want to do it. Help us to get caught up in what you want. What you want us to experience. What you want us to do. How you want us to change. How you want us to transform other lives. Because that's what it's all about drawing people to you, lifting you up, and drawing all men unto you so that lives can be changed and transformed. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory because it's not through us. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.